This is Mike Howell, and welcome to another episode of Anatomy of a Chef. You know, one of my favorite things to do is introduce to all of you the chef restaurant owner who is working 12 to 14 hours a day without the safety net, if you will, of a large corporate restaurant group. Now, I realize that nothing is safe, nor is nothing is anything guaranteed, which makes these small business owners who happen to be chefs, I mean, they could be mechanics or accountants. I mean, it applies to either or. But one of my favorite guests to share is these independent owners who are out there in the trenches working really hard. The other chefs in the corporate world, they're working as hard too, but they can go home and their bottom line isn't on the line, if you will, on a day-in, day-out basis. So I have respect for them all. I just really enjoy bringing these um, restaurantpreneurs, if you will, to highlight for you guys. And the goal is for you to go out there and show these folks their appreciation and go to the restaurants and try their food. And if it's good and if you like it, tell them it's great and wonderful. And if you don't like it, tell them that it's not what you like and tell them why. Because they're always open to what they're creating. They need the feedback. They always need the feedback of what's, what's good and what's bad. They can't improve unless you give them the feedback. And it gives them, I've said this before in interviews, it gives them uh, the fire to keep them going. They really, really appreciate it. So on today's episode, my guest is Chef Coral Strong. She is the owner of Garden Kitchen, which is located here in San Diego. Coral and her husband, Russ, they opened Garden Kitchen two and a half years ago. Two years ago, Mother's Day is when they opened the doors. After extensive research regarding the demographics of the neighborhood, she actually was, went and talked to folks out on the street in the neighborhood where the restaurant is about her restaurant concept. She's got farm fresh, made from scratch, everything in the restaurant's made from scratch. She actually got out of her car, walked around the neighborhood, talked to people about her concept and her idea, and she said 99 out of 100 of the people said they love it, that's what this neighborhood needs. Sure enough, she's been very successful in the last two and a half years. People are just kind of flocking to her restaurant. In fact, I think Sue and I are going to go check it out probably here in the near future. She has a, a really unique take on a couple of vegan recipes, which I had not heard before. She has a vegan cheesecake, which she describes in the interview, that sounds horrifying. And to actually listen to her, how she describes it and how she makes it. And once people have it, she said they're just blown away. It is so delicious. She also has a unique way of using collard greens as a wrap, like a burrito, and throwing like rice and vegetables or whatever you want in there and using that as a wrap and have that instead of a burrito if you're gluten intolerant or you just don't want to consume the white flour of a burrito. That's an excellent idea. And don't freak out. She loves a good steak too and she offers that on her menu as well. So I've got all of that plus a bunch more. And now I would like to present Chef Coral Strong. Enjoy, everyone. Good afternoon, Chef Coral. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You're the, um, you're the kind of quintessential guest that I, that I really seek out and try to find to bring on the show because you are working hard, creating your own restaurant, here in San Diego and really pretty much is working your butt off. You don't have a big corporation behind you to kind of help you, help you get along. And, and I want people to kind of get an understanding of how, how hard it is really for you to be out there and working it almost seven days a week, trying to make your little restaurant get out there and go. So tell us a little bit, bit about your restaurant and how you got it started. Uh, Garden Kitchen has is a culmination of what my husband and I have wanted and what we were missing over the years of dining out. Uh, when I was a former bartender for almost 10 years, we'd go out to eat a lot. And everywhere we went, we were constantly missing fresh. You know, there's a lot of amazing restaurants out there. There's a lot of amazing chefs out there. But I was always lacking 
a freshness that I wanted uh, that I was getting at home with my CSA boxes and with my farmer's market produce. So that's what we wanted to bring to the restaurant scene in San Diego was absolute positive freshness. I think the way that we were meant to cook was with what's in season and with what you've got from the grocery store, the farmer's market in the last couple of days. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to bring that same concept to an extremely small restaurant on a very small level. So that's what I've kind of done at Garden Kitchen. Yeah. Um how many tables is in your restaurant? I mean, the website, it says it's like a little quaint, little converted home. Correct. So it was, a, it was a home 25 years ago. Then it was oh. a lumpia restaurant or a Filipino restaurant. And then it became a Jamaican restaurant for a couple of years, at which point I took it over from the Jamaican restaurant owner. And uh, we have 11 tables and two small raised bar seats, if you will. We seat about 42 on our absolute best day. Nice. That's turning over tables and everything else. No, well, I mean, we can seat 42 for any one seating. Yeah. No, we we turn over definitely, you know, two to three times, but uh, 42 is what we can seat at one time, 49 being our capacity. Yeah. How did you come across this little place? Of all the locations in San Diego, how did you actually come across this? Was it word of mouth that you heard these, the Jamaican restaurant was going to be closing its doors? Not at all. Uh, I had looked for years and looked at the, all, many locations, and it just didn't have the everything that I wanted. And uh, we were getting ready to go on a trip to Hawaii, and I thought, you know, I'm going to look one more time. Uh, before we go on vacation, and I found it on Craigslist. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, and it was uh, the former business owner was trying to sell his business um, as a Jamaican business, and I had no interest in that. So uh, I just wanted to take over the location, and the majority of the guts spoke with the former owner who sold me basically the assets and then spoke with the landlord who was an older gentleman and that's how I found uh, this location. Of course, lots of homework, too, you know, figuring out my demographic, who lived in the area, other restaurants, so on and so forth. The, can you kind of describe the neighborhood? Is it, is it kind of an eclectic restaurant and homes, or is it all mostly homes with your restaurant kind of standing out all by itself? Or What's the neighborhood like? Uh, the neighborhood immediately that I'm in is called Rolando and Rolando Park. Rolando Park is to the north. Excuse me, Rolando is to the north, and then Rolando Park is to the south. It's just an amazing community of what I call really normal people, Um, Mm -hmm. just a lot of families. I'd say the 30 to 50-year-old range, Mm -hmm. a lot of couples, young families, dogs, white picket fence, Uh, the demographic uh, is is varied, a uh, lot of expendable income. These are really just smart, educated, progressive people. And as mm-hmm. far as the restaurant scene goes, there's not a whole lot in the area. There's a lot of really fantastic kind of fast food style ethnic restaurants. Mm-hmm. But there's no place for several miles where you can just go get an organic fresh salad, you know, or okay. a, you know, farm fresh made dessert. And so when I did my research on this location, I thought, oh my gosh, these people in this neighborhood are dying for fresh food. Yeah, for sure. You got kind of a niche going for yourself there. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, no, I, I really hit the, hit the nail on the head, a little jackpot with uh, my community. For sure. For someone out there that's kind of looking to um, kind of go the same route that you're going, maybe not necessarily with the type of cuisine, if I can talk, but can you kind of briefly touch on the research that you did do and where you went to get the information for someone, to give someone some helpful hints and tips if they're looking to do this, what would, what worked for you and what didn't work for you, basically? I knew what type of customer I wanted, so I had to find the right neighborhood. I wanted a very small location, just should I decide to fail, which failure wasn't an option for me. 
should my restaurant idea not take off, I wanted a very inexpensive location. Um, so what I did besides looking online and doing a lot of like, I went to the county recorder's office and looked at the average uh, house uh, cost and I looked at average income for the demographic that lived there. I also spent a lot of time walking up and down the streets, driving, pulling over, asking people questions, asking the neighbors what they thought of my restaurant idea to see if I was going to be embraced and I would say 99 out of 100 people that would speak with me would say, oh, my gosh, yes, hands down, this is what we need. So, really, I just oh, no. did my homework and asked a lot of questions for about four months before I moved in. <clears throat> That's awesome. That's a good point for a lot of um, people that are looking, not only for a restaurant, but for any uh, new product that you pretty much want to put out there in the marketplace is, is go out there and ask what people are actually what their pain points are, what they're looking for. And if you supply yeah. them what they're looking for, there's no reason why you wouldn't have success while you're doing it. This, correct. The saying is, is pound the pavement. And all that means is you just have to get out there and ask questions until you are absolutely 100% convinced that your product is going to sell. And essentially that's what my restaurant is. It's a product um, and exactly. it's an idea. Exactly. <clears throat> Uh, on the website, it says that you change the menu um, on a daily basis. Correct. So, essentially, I change it every day or every two days, depending, of mm -hmm. course, on our volume. What I do is I work with five uh, local farms here in San Diego, sometimes a few more, and I basically write my, uh, excuse me, I get my orders on Mondays and Tuesdays and uh, get them delivered throughout the week, and that's how I write my menu. When I get home at the end of the night, I see what I have left over, what's fresh that's coming in, and what am I going to create, and that's how my menu is uh, written every single day. Wow. I was going to ask you how you handle the, the inventory with that, how you keep spoilers down and, and not waste um, money buying stuff that's not going to sell. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm essentially zero waste because everything that I bring in, you know, say the typical restaurant has the same menu for three or four months at a time, and mm -hmm. they're buying lots of, let's just say, arugula week in, week out, but that salad's not selling. They're probably mm -hmm. either A, cutting back on that order, or B, they're throwing it away. I don't have that because I don't take something off my menu until it's gone, which is typically within one day, one to two days. So I have zero waste and zero spoilage. Um, in addition to that, if there is anything that's going to go bad, I either A, send it home with my staff, or B, we have it as a staff meal. So I'm essentially zero waste, yeah, in addition to uh, my composting and everything else that I do. Uh, there's really nothing that gets dumped out. Oh, that's awesome. That's, and that's such a smart way to run the business as well. It really right. It, my food cost is incredible because of that. You know, I'm constantly only selling what I have on hand, whereas a lot of restaurants have to have a lot of items on hand and then hope that they will sell. Right. Exactly. Do you, my wife and I, we create menus for ourselves for the week and we, and we buy the groceries and we plan and we cook and, and have the, our meals kind of prepared for us. And we find it to be sometimes a real chore have you gotten used to this kind of methodology or is it a chore sometimes? It's like, oh, great, i got to create another menu. And how, uh, do you first, get past how do you get past it? The first year I'd say it was a real chore because I wasn't used to it. Now I'd say my ideas are flowing so heavily in my brain that I constantly just can't wait to get new ideas out on a menu. Uh, as well as I, oh, okay. I constantly have a running tab of, you know, notes and to-do lists where I'm like, oh, I want to do this and I want to execute this and I really want to make this and I can't wait till this comes in from the farm. Uh, so I constantly have ideas. You know, some are better than others. Sometimes I have just a boring soup and other days I have an entree that I'm so proud of I can't even, like, you know, I can't even contain my excitement. So just like with anything, it ebbs and flows. Yeah. Um, shoot, I was going to ask you, darn it, I was going to ask you something, you talked about that. 
The menu. Oh well. The menu. It'll come to you. Yeah, it'll come to me. Shoot. I forget. Oh, there's a brilliant question too. I can't remember. What it was. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. Oh, anyway. Um, what are the three things that you wish you knew before you opened the restaurant? I have to be honest and say there's not a whole lot. I will okay. say that the the one because I was in the restaurant industry for so long beforehand. Um, and I always asked a lot of questions, asked my former bosses a lot of questions. I've had a few small cafes beforehand, so I learned a lot. I will mm-hmm. say the single piece of advice that my former bosses gave me is said that employees would be my biggest problem, and they weren't lying. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have an absolutely amazing staff right now. I'm so happy and lucky and pleased that they're my staff, that they work for me and with me. But that has probably been the biggest challenge uh, you can't employ your friends, and your employees can't be your friends. So that's probably the hardest part is just keeping mm. keeping employees, keeping them happy, getting employees that care about your business as much as you do, and then, of course, making sure that they show up to work and do the job they're supposed to do. Yeah, That is single-handedly my biggest stress with uh, the business. Are you finding that the potential pool of employees is shrinking due to so many restaurants opening in the area? I don't know if it's because so many restaurants in the area, but perhaps. I just find that I think people in the restaurant industry in general are their floaters. And as soon as they don't like something, they move on to the next. They're always looking for a grass is greener rather than sticking it out and saying, wow, maybe I need to change myself or the, my work okay. ethic, the way that I work. However, I will say in finding, um, I have no problem finding all of my back of the house. Front, well, I've had no problem finding staff with the exception of uh, chefs. The chefs. Finding chefs has been the hardest thing for me to find. Oh, interesting. I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like, um, I feel like uh, dishwashers and servers are a dime a dozen. But finding a mm-hmm. chef that wants to work with my menu and my farm fresh ingredients has been probably the hardest part. The What's hardest their position. Biggest oh, okay. What's their biggest gripe or concern? I think the constant, you know, not making the same thing every single day. Every chef wants to stretch their creativity and they want to make what they want to make. Yet when I'm giving them the challenge of we need a new menu five days a week, they can't seem to handle it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like you catch 22, you know, every chef's like, I don't want to flip a burger anymore. I'm like, okay, great. Well, here our menu changes different every day and everything's from scratch. What do you mean you make everything from scratch? I have to make the bread and the pasta and the ice cream and the salad dressing. Well, yeah, you're in a kitchen. You have to work hard. So it's kind of just a catch-22 with, you know, they want to do what they, they want to sit and make food, but then when it comes down to it day in and day out, it seems to be a challenging. Yeah, they don't want to really make food. They just want to cook food. Kind of, yeah. They don't want to put the effort into scrubbing the carrots in order to make the, you know, roasted carrot puree or fully executing the dish, I would say. Hmm. That's just been my experience, but I mean, like I said, I have a fantastic staff right now, so I'm I'm very happy. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, okay, I know what the question I want to talk to you about is: you're a self-taught chef. You didn't go to culinary yes. school, correct? And where I kind of read your um, another where I found you was in another publication. I kind of read the interview there that your, um, your dad was a fisherman and you guys ate seafood a lot. And when you were growing up, um, where, where do these ideas, I mean, to come up with a menu five days differently every five days is kind of a challenge. Where does that come from within you? And what would you, would is that something you recommend for somebody to do? Or is it like be your own person and, do it. Do it. It's right for you, I guess. Um, I think. I think. I think. 
I think chefs need to do what's right for them and what's in their heart. For me, this was right for me because I'm trying to, this is not just becoming a chef. It's not just becoming a restaurant owner. For me, it was a little bit of a movement. It was, I want to teach people that they can cook from what's in their fridge. That's the way that my mother taught me how to cook. Um, you know, if she was short tomatoes on a pico de gallo, she would throw in strawberries. Or, you know, if she was short something for her mirepoix, she would put in, you know, onions in, or she'd put in spring onions instead of regular onions. And that's the way we were meant to cook, I believe, in nature. Uh, there's so many recipes that this is the way it's supposed to be done. Well, I like to push those boundaries. I think any chef needs to do what's best for them. This is just, for me, kind of like a personal mission statement of, wow, I want to cook everything from scratch based on what the farms are giving me in San Diego, and I want to put that on a plate, and I want to push the boundaries of what my customers are eating and what they're tasting and smelling and what they're willing to try and say, yes, do you see this fennel? Next time you see that at the grocery store, you too can roast that and put it on a plate with your steak, or you too can, you know, break it down and put it in a dessert and just kind of increase the awareness of what's growing in San Diego and how we can actually see that on our plate, you know? Right. Well, I love the idea. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> did that answer your question? Of, of course. Yeah, it did. It did. There's no right or wrong answers. We're just kind of hanging out talking. It's all, <laughs> it's all yeah. good. But it, um, I, I get a feeling a lot of people, they go to farmer's markets and they're overwhelmed some people overwhelmed by what's there and it's like, Oh my God, if I buy this, I have no idea what to do with it. But really if you trim it, put olive oil on it and roast it, it's probably going to be pretty good. (laughs) And that's that's what experimentation is about. And that's actually part of the way that I learned how to cook with some of the ingredients that I cook with on a daily basis. My boyfriend at the time, now husband, he was part of a CSA which I was not into and not really did I understand or, or accept. And he would have all these ingredients in his CSA box sitting in his fridge and just, you know, being a fisherman's daughter and a, and, and a mother and a father that didn't waste food, <clears throat> I decided that I would just use Google and figure it out and taste it raw and taste it sautéed and taste it blanched. And you kind of just figure out over time by making mistakes and by making good mistakes, you know, happy accidents as they call them. You figure out how to, how to work with things and you figure out what you like and what you don't like. And that's kind of the beauty of the farmer's market is if you don't know what something is, go up and ask the farmer. They're going to be so excited to tell you about it. You're, it's, it's not a dumb question. I still don't know half the things my farmers have, and all I do is ask questions, and how would you recommend I cook this? And that's what the average person can do, and that's how we learn about what's growing in our food system today. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And then to be not afraid to fail like we talked about earlier, it's get out Yeah, there never be afraid to fail. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's only a, a beat or a turnip or something. It's, it's, it's all it is. It's not... Right. Yeah, you're you're not it's you're not gambling with, you know, a ten thousand dollar piece of property. It's just a vegetable and the worst thing you can do is is burn it. Uh and chances right. and chances are sometimes it's still gonna taste good burnt, you know? That's very popular right now. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Just throw it on the coals, see what happens. For sure. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Other than uh, a per- uh, sharp knife, what's the most important tool in your kitchen? Mm, so I'm 50-50 between the Cuisinart and a Vitamix because the Vitamix is single-handedly. It's my oldest tool. I've had it since I've been like probably 18 or 19 years old. Vitamix blender, for those that don't know. It's mm-hmm. just you can make soups and sauces and ice creams and purees. You can, um, I don't have any luck with good spice grinders, so I actually grind my spices in there as well. There's so many things you can do with a really good blender. Vitamixes cost, you know, five, six, seven hundred dollars, upwards of a thousand. Mine's over 20 years old now. I still use it, and it's probably the best thing in the universe. And behind that's the Cuisinart, which is, you know, more of a rough chop blender. Right. Yeah. Um, I was talking to my wife the other day about, I was interviewing another chef, and he was his favorite tool was also a, a Vitamix blender. 
And I was telling her, I was like, you know, maybe we ought to look into getting one of these things because all these chefs are like, these things are amazing for soups and, and what have you. And I throw stuff and in our so regular old. Hmm? In a regular blender? Yeah, I throw stuff in the regular blender, and it comes out okay. And we and I have an immersion blender, too, and if you work it long enough, that seems to do it okay as well. But uh, I may pull the trigger on one of these Vitamix blenders. So no, all you chefs know how great it is. It's, yeah, do it, absolutely. I mean, I know at Costco, like, every four months or whatever, they go on sale. I highly recommend it. Like I said, mine's 20 years old. I think one of the old commercials for Vitamix even was that you could – Take the you could take a handful of nails and throw it in the Vitamix blender, and it's still not going to dull the blade. I mean, they're just practically indestructible. You can throw them in the dishwasher. They're easy to rinse out. Like it's just a no-brainer. You know, you can make smoothies in them every morning. You can make whatever it is you need to do. You can pretty much do in a Vitamix. Yeah, I, and people listening to this are probably like, so what's the difference between a high-end, like a two hundred dollar. Um, KitchenAid blender and a Vitamix. Is it the blade type, the blade shape? What makes them so great? Do you know? Um, it's slight magic as far as I'm concerned, but I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it all has to do with the, the blade and the design of the blade and uh, the perhaps even the design of the blender base. Mm. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's just fantastic. It just blends and purees. It's just fluffy little clouds when it comes when it's when it's done, and no other blender have I ever used gets it to the consistency that a Vitamix does. So yeah, a little bit of magic, a little bit of ingenuity. They've done something right. Yeah, they've engineered that bad boy some way. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. What were you getting this this summer? I mean, we're coming out of summertime now, but this summer, what were you getting from the farmers that? really was just outstanding in your mind. It was above everything else that you were, that you were delivered to and preparing for your guests. Is there something oh, to stand out? Everything. The thing that I'm probably most excited about right now that I just can't order enough of is the passion fruit. It just, mm. I just get so excited with passion fruit. There's so many things you can do with it. It's such a beautiful fruit. It's, not hard to work with by any means, but it takes a lot of patience separating the juice from the puree. Um, and with it being a very tart fruit juice, when you're done, um, you know, working with it, there's just so many things you can do with it. I think that's probably the, the one ingredient I'm most excited about right now. And then, of course, figs. Figs mm, okay. are just Phenomenal. Every color, shape, size, they're just delicious little pieces of candy. You can use them sweet and savory. Um, you can have them as an appetizer. You can do it with a soup, a salad dressing, throw them on an entree, a dessert. Like, they're just so versatile. I'd say those are probably my two, my two favorite items right now. With the passion fruit, are you making um, desserts and dressings and stuff out of it? What are you doing with the passion fruit? Uh, everything right now. Kind of my signature dessert is this uh, vegan cheesecake, so I made a really nice passion fruit puree with it. Uh, last okay. week, I made a passion fruit and serrano reduction. I put on uh, some yellowtail, and I also tossed them in my chicken wings. Mm. Um, I made a passion fruit vinaigrette with a fruit kind of style salad I had the other day. It's just kind of a little bit of everything. I just, I can't put it on enough ingredients without it taking over my menu because I'm just so excited. <laughs> so I, I, the passion fruit and serrano reduction tossed in uh, with, when I tossed with the chicken wings was probably the most exciting because I don't normally like to put chicken wings on my menu. I find it a little boring and redundant and a lot of restaurants have it. But when you can put mm -hmm. such an elegant piece of fruit like passion fruit, make a reduction out of it and toss it in the wings. It just brings it brings the chicken to a whole different level. Wow! So that oh, that I was probably my most, most exciting. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, that just sounds really delicious because I love the, the spiciness of the serranos. It's one of my favorite peppers. Yeah, yeah always... it was kind of the tart, sweet passion fruit. Yeah, for sure, for sure. 
Have you do you ever make hot sauces in your restaurant? So that yes, absolutely. That was going to be my other thing that I'm really excited about right now is all the peppers, and I have a uh, green style Tabasco from Green Jalapenos that is uh, fermenting as we speak, and it will be done on the 26th. So I've been waiting a very long, patient month. Goodness. Um, yeah, so that's exciting. It's two gallons. We make all sorts of different hot sauces. I've got like a pasilla pepper salsa right now. We have this green jalapeno Tabasco. So we're always working on some sort of different hot sauce because I try not to, I try not to use anything out of, you know, a can or a jar. I try to make everything as plant-based as possible. Right. And if you've ever had a fresh, fresh Tabasco, you know, that was just made and fermented in the last 30 days. It's, it's pretty incredible. Good stuff. Have you ever used, to bring in some sweetness, have you ever used beets to bring in sweetness? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Uh, beet ice cream, red velvet beet cake. I started doing shredded beets in my meatloaf, which is phenomenal. Um, I did a beet puree the other day as a base for my caprese salad. Mm. Yeah, the list goes on. Um, beet uh, tartare is really fun for the vegans. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah a little sweet, a little Have savory. You, yeah, for sure. Have you ever used a beets in a hot sauce? I don't think I have. Oh, okay. Is there something you want to tell me? <laughs> well, I I want to make my own hot sauce, and I'm not a real fan of carrots for sweetness. I, I've, and when I was little, I was kind of allergic to them. They kind of whacked out my mouth. And if I eat more than a few, it does the same thing. And I don't I'm not a, I don't enjoy the flavor of carrots. That I, so I was thinking in my mind, I want to do a red and a green hot sauce, and the red, I think the beet would give it just the most beautiful red color and sure. a tinge of, of sweetness along with um, some red pepper, which I haven't figured out what red pepper to, to use. I think, it's a, I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great idea. You can use it basically as your base for sugar. Yeah. So, yep, I think it's a great yeah. idea. Thanks. So I was, I, I was, I just thought about that a couple of days ago, and I knew you were coming on. I was like, I'm gonna ask her if she's ever used beets in hot sauce and see. Oh yeah. See what it was. It's, it's it's interesting. The other day we made a um, we, what did we make the other day? Um, I think it was our blackberry sorbet we did the other day. Was it our blackberry sorbet? I'm, I feel like I'm gonna I'm saying this wrong. We made something the other day. Oh, that's what it was. It was our fig. We made so we made this tropical sorbet Sunday. So three different sorbets: one passion fruit, one pig, one fig, one blackberry. The fig okay. came out brown. Okay, no one wants brown ice cream. It just doesn't look pretty. And so right. one of my chefs said, "Why don't we throw a little bean in there to kind of like perk up the color?" And I mm-hmm. thought we had some we had some roasted beet that was from you know a day or two before. And I said, yeah, let's, let's play with it. Let's go with it. And he added beet in, and not only did it add the sweetness, but it added a little bit more of a pink color. So the brown fig sorbet took on a nice little pink hue, and it was fantastic, you know, because beet is great for a natural dye as well, mm-hmm. um, as well as a sweetener. So, yeah, it's, it was just it's fun because, you know, when in doubt, just try it. <laughs> it's just food <laughs> It's just, it's at the end of the day, it's just food. It's not going to kill you. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I recommend sure. it. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a shot for your recommendation. Yeah. Yep. Always uh, like that. You're going to need to roast it first, too. You know, roast it or boil it, because when you, when you cook the beet, it tends to be much sweeter. Yes. Yeah, we typically, that's what we do is we roast them when we do that and put them on salads or just eat them with stuff is yeah. practically roast all of our vegetables for the most part, or, or I'll go grill them, but grill a roast right. is pretty much how we like it for sure. Well, I want to see how your hot sauce comes out. Send me a picture. Okay. I'll do that. Absolutely. That sounds fun. Maybe I'll come by the restaurant and drop you off some and have you taste it. And you can critique me yep. as well. 
Now we're talking. I don't critique. I encourage. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Let's see. What advice would you give new culinary school graduates? I like the advice you got. Employees will be the biggest problem, but that's for an owner. Yeah, that's for an owner. I'm a little different being an owner and the chef. The biggest thing that I would say, seeing kids get out of culinary school, they think they've learned everything. Um, and part of my opinion and what makes an incredible chef is someone that not only can obviously, you know, cook their butt off, if you will, but also understand the business side of it. Mm. Uh, and, and so if you could take some business classes to learn, you know, about the product and the costs associated with it, um, I think that's incredibly important. And definitely I would say when you start first in the kitchen, start at the bottom don't be afraid to be the dishwasher because you're going to get a whole new respect for a sh for being a chef and becoming a chef than you will have ever realized. A lot of culinary school graduates who get out of class and they think that they should, you know, they should be a sous chef or they should be a line cook. And really starting at the bottom makes you a much stronger chef in the long run. So I would say, yeah, don't be afraid to take a job as a dishwasher and then move your way up to prep cook and move your way on up from there because it makes you an incredibly stronger chef in the long run. Oh, that's good advice. That's good advice. Actually seeing how all those positions work and what needs to be done to, to execute them, it just yes. builds knowledge later on. It builds knowledge and character and I think gives you respect for the people that have already worked their way up from the bottom so the people that, you know, you're working for, it makes you give them more respect. And then the people that are then working below you, whether it's the dishwasher or the prep cook, it makes you also respect how hard they're working to try to move their way up the ladder. So yeah. I'd say it's like a mutual respect. Once you've started at the bottom and worked your way up, it gives you a whole new respect for everyone that's working around you. Yeah, and, a, and the correct... I guess, point of view of since you've been there, you can, it's so relatable. It just it can do nothing but help you in the long run. I agree with you. 100%. Yeah. It does nothing but make you stronger. I mean, I'm the owner and the executive chef and I still wash dishes every single night as part of helping me and my team keep the restaurant in good working order. And it doesn't bother me one bit. It's just part of the job. And it also makes me respect when I'm in the kitchen, you know, busting out 20 orders and my dishwasher is in the back bending over, scrubbing pots and pans. It just makes me just love and respect them that much more. No, for sure. For sure. If you had to pick or choose three herbs or spices for a year, what would they be? Since you change every other day. Yeah. <laughs> Herbs, cilantro, basil, mint are probably my three favorite. Cilantro might have to be my favorite, although tarragon is really close. Mm -hmm. And I'm not I'm not good at this narrowing down thing. And probably my newest favorite thing right now is uh, sweet mace, which is a Mexican tarragon. I'm getting it from one of my farms, one of my heirloom farms right now, and it is the most incredible flavor. I've had people tell me I don't like fennel, I don't like tarragon, I don't like licorice, but they have the sweet mace, and they're just losing their mind. It's such just a, it's just, a, it's really, really neat um, herb that I'm using right now, and uh, that's probably my favorite. Cool. What do you... Um... Yeah. What are you using it on, the sweet mace? Are you using it like um, steaks and that kind of stuff? Or you know, the, everything? The, the, everything that I can, you know, within reason, because it is a strong flavor. The thing that I did most recently with it that I was absolutely really proud of, um, I, did my, I did whole fried fish this past weekend, and I did traditional chimichurri with cilantro and parsley, but I did one part cilantro, one part parsley, one part sweet mace. 
And it just kind of kicked up the chimichurri to a whole new level where you're getting the chimichurri, that really um, spicy and acidic, fresh green herb flavor. But then you're getting like this nice little twist with the, 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 the tarragon, which has got that kind of fennel anise licorice flavor going on. And I think that caught most, most of my customers by surprise this past weekend. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I've, I've never even heard of that before, and I don't, maybe somebody else listening has, but we've all yeah. got tarragon, but I've never heard of the, the sweet maize Yeah, sweet maize slash Mexican tarragon. It's from uh, Dickinson Farm, which is one of my heirloom farms. So they have also introduced me to a lot of things that I haven't had because all of their um, their seeds and germinations are like late 1800s and early 1900s. They're all heirloom seeds. So oh, wow. I'm also learning, yeah, I'm also learning about a lot of the new things that they're that they're planting and growing. And what's I'm sorry, what's the name of the farm? Is it Dickinson's Farm? You said Dickinson. Yep, D I C K I N S O N Dickinson Farm. It's in National City here in San Diego, and uh, it's an old Victorian home uh, with a great farm in the back, and they specialize mm-hmm. in only grow in heirloom uh, fruits and vegetables. Hmm. Oh, cool. Check them out. They're awesome. Yep. They're beautiful. We just, uh, they did a dinner yesterday um, that was absolutely fantastic. It's on the farm. You get to do a farm tour. They had some beer there that they made um, using the Dickinson Farm buckwheat and coriander seed. It's it's a great it's a great local farm. Oh neat. Up there. Yeah, definitely check that out. That sounds like a cool place to hang out. Check out. It is. <laughs> it is. Well all the farms are great to hang out, but yeah, this is it's beautiful. It's very well maintained. Oh, okay. Thanks. What mm-hmm. is the best lesson what is the best lesson your father ever taught you? Um Hard work pays off. <laughs> he's a, yeah, he's a commercial fisherman here in San Diego, so almost 40 years. And, um, you know, he's never really made it rich, but he does what he loves. And he goes out every day, comes home every day. He works long hours. He does until the, he, you know, he works until the job is done. And in that way, he's been incredibly successful. So, Yeah. Following your passion, which is what he does. It's fishing, mine's cooking, and just working really hard. That's awesome. He yeah. Probably, I don't my, wife, my wife works for the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, and he probably has seen her to go buy his fishing licenses every year. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Yep, small world. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What else I wanted to ask you? So, uh, I, I read this, but I can't remember how long. How long have you had this the restaurant? Two and a half years. Mother's Day was two years. Okay. So, we opened Mother's Day weekend, May of 2015. So, bet- between that and everything else that's going on in your life, what has become more important in the last five years or less important in the last five years, or both? Because you've had a lot of change in the last two and a half years. Sure. Um, more important is my devotion to, I would say, food and teaching my customers about food and how important it is to support your local farmers and uh, live more sustainably. And then probably non-work related, it would be spending as much time as possible with your family because as my restaurant has become as successful as it is, I'm not getting enough time with my friends and family, which it's kind of like a love-hate because I absolutely love, love, love my restaurant, and it's incredible and amazing, but mm-hmm. it's really taking from my time with my friends and my family. Yeah. So it's, you know, I, more, yeah, more I, important. I, yeah. Yeah. That's the dark side of this, of your industry is, the time spent away, holidays and special occasions away from family and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hard, you know, it's, it's, it's incredibly demanding. And so many people say, Oh, just don't work so hard. 
Well, it's not that easy because if I just didn't work so hard, my business wouldn't be successful. And if my business wasn't successful, I wouldn't be paying my employees. And, you know, it's a downward spiral. So it is. It's Absolutely. the dark side that I think when the average person goes out to eat dinner and they want to complain that, you know, this steak costs too much or whatnot, it all boils down to, well, you know, there's a lot of people that are depending on the amount of labor and effort that goes into the restaurant, hence the prices, so on and so forth, you know? Right. So, you know, when they're cooking for you on that Thanksgiving dinner, you have to think, wow, all of these employees in this restaurant are not spending that time with their friends or their family or their dog or their cat or whatnot. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, going back to your dad and, and being a commercial fisherman, um, my wife was telling me over the weekend, she goes, you know, people wonder why the seafood costs so much. And it's, if anybody really understood the amount of money that these fishermen have to put forward every year for their trade, you'd be blown away on the, the thousands of dollars that it costs just to get the license and be able to own and operate the business. Then, of course, you've got maintenance on the boat and the fuel for the boat and employees for the boat and the whole nine yards. And it's yeah. the same thing with whether it's a steak or whether it's a piece of tuna. It's, there's so much cost on the backside that people don't realize that you've got to pay right. for this stuff. You know? Yeah. And yeah. Good food doesn't come cheap. And it's not because no. the farmers or the owners or the chefs are all, you know, running around in $200,000 cars or living, you know, the ritzy lifestyle. It's because it's just a matter of cost of doing business. Um, right. You know, when people tell me that, oh, this is a little expensive, I just shrug it off because at the end of the day, I know how much work and effort goes into this food. And why would you want to buy cheap seafood anyway? Or why would you want to buy a cheap steak? I'd much rather pay more for something that's incredible and help support the fishermen or the ranchers behind it than pay for something cheap where there was, you know, where someone's not getting a living wage for that ingredient. Yeah, I think if you served what you what you create next to something that's been packaged and frozen, and you same meal but with packaged and frozen goods and your fresh goods, and put that down in front of somebody, that's the only way they're going to realize. Oh my God! Now I know why this is a little bit more expensive. The flavor is is over the top. Or right. these packaged restaurants, these chain restaurants, if you will with their packaged stuff. It's just, it's horrible food. It really, it may taste, some people think it tastes good, but it's... That's because they don't know good food, um, and they don't know fresh food. And again, that goes back to your question with why I decided to, you know, open a restaurant like this. I wanted to teach people how good food can taste when it's come out of the ground in the last 24 to 48 hours, not come out of a plastic bag because I got it last week from you know, said distribution company that, you know, where the, it ripened on the truck and then it sat in my fridge for a week before I decided to put it on your plate. I wanted to teach people that when food comes from a local farm and some of my, some of my ingredients, some of my produce gets picked that day and it's on your plate that night. And if anyone can tell me in their heart of all hearts that that doesn't taste better, then they're just they're they're crazy or unfortunately they're you know <laughs> haven't had the beauty of tasting fresh produce yeah that's true too yeah they just don't have like you said they haven't tasted good food at all right so in the last yeah last five years what's less important to you now in the last five years like if you had you know your dream was to buy this two hundred thousand dollar automobile and now it doesn't matter is there anything that's less important to you less important Hmm. I don't know if I know an answer to that one. Less important. Um, I don't know. Can I pause? Can I pause and ask my my husband? He might have a good answer. I'm not good with this. Uh, yeah, less important. I can't think of anything less important. I haven't really paid attention to the materialistic things for a long time. I fortunately grew out of that in my you know, 20s and 30s. Um, right. So, yeah, I can't really say anything less important. That's um, 
I pay less and less attention to the news, that's for sure. <laughs> that's yeah, a whole other conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's something that, gosh, I think it's been probably 13, 14 years that we quit watching the local news. I have, I have no idea what's going on here in, in locally in San Diego because I don't, I don't watch the news. I just, yeah, I, I really like my bubble sometimes. Yeah, um, me too. I know that it sounds ignorant, but just because of the negative things, I, 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 you know, don't watch really the news or pay attention to any of that stuff. But uh, less important, I can't really say anything right now. That's fine. That's cool. Yeah. That, that means it's all important, which is good, too. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I try to make everything important. Yeah, for sure. Well, I... I, this is, I know this is your day off, and I've got the one last the challenge question I want to ask you, and then we'll um, let people know where they can get a hold of you and where the restaurant is, and then we'll, I'll let you get on along with your, your day off with your husband and, and enjoy the day and what's left of the eclipse, which is probably nothing at this point. But <laughs> so my, my challenge question is, you receive a request to cater a dinner party for 25 guests with a budget of $500, about $20 each. The menu is two hors d'oeuvres, two main courses, and a dessert. What would you create? Twenty dollars is pretty good, actually. So that's that's not bad. Um, You're the first one to say that. You're the first. The one. first that's one. Amazing. Yes, Every, um, it's a challenge, and I know it's a challenge. But some some personal chefs and some caterers, this is what they get. They get people walking in the door and say, "I really want you to." do this for me, but this is all the money I have. Yeah. And well, you can I don't go know. vegan if you want or vegetarian. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. So one of the things that I really love doing at my restaurant is forcing vegetables on you and, you know, making it sound appetizing, <laughs> making it sound appetizing, but really just hiding a whole bunch of vegetables and or showcasing the vegetable. Um, mm -hmm. So not everything is meat-focused for me. So for the first uh, two hors d'oeuvres, I love doing things like vegetable wraps, whether it's like a dolma roll uh, with a collard leaf and stuffed with a whole bunch of, you know, farro and raisins pine nuts, or just a simple classic wrap where um, you're just doing a whole bunch of fresh vegetables, rolling in some lettuce with a great, you know, dipping sauce or something like that. That's easy, and everyone loves it. Um, probably one of my favorite things to do is a roasted vegetable crostini. I'm, I know you said you don't like carrots, but I make this uh, killer carrot pate, which is akin to a butter or a cheese, and I throw that on a crostini. So throw that on a little crostini. We make our bread in-house as well. Um, and when you, you know, have a fresh-made bread and you have a nice roasted vegetable crostini that's kind of acting like a cheese or a butter, mm. um, it, people always love it. Oh, cool. uh, definitely, definitely for entrees or for main courses, I would do a fresh fish, whether it was just a, a small little fillet or a sashimi of some style. Um, love lots of cilantro, lime, passion fruit, like I was saying, some hot sauce in there. Uh, excuse me, some uh, hot peppers in there. Maybe a little bit of soy sauce or tamari. Um, nice steak. I'm a steak girl. I love my vegetables, but anytime I can get an incredible steak, which a lot of people, I'm not sure they've actually had a really good steak. Um, yeah, it's just, it's crazy to me how people haven't had a good steak. Um, good steak with maybe like a gremolata or a chimichurri, uh, some roasted vegetables, and you don't need to eat an entire eight-ounce steak. You know, you can have half of a steak and a couple pieces of steamy, and it'll fill you up. Um, so anytime I can throw some vegetables on the grill, give them a nice little char with a little bit of olive oil, salt, pepper, garlic, I mean, it's just letting the vegetables speak for themselves. For sure. And for dessert, my dessert is probably my signature cheesecake, which is a vegan and gluten-free cheesecake. And when people hear that, they get scared. But once you've had it, I think I can usually, I can turn you. And I make a cashew cheesecake. So it, of course, oh, okay. mimics your traditional dairy cheesecake. But I make it all from uh, unroasted raw cashews. And I turn that into a cheese, if you will. And then whatever fresh fruit I have, puree so some strawberries or i'm getting still lots of blackberries right now it could be figs it could be passion fruit 
Mm-hmm. It's high in really, really good fat, um, but it's guilt-free. It's only four ingredients, and there's no dairy, so it's really easy for your body to process. And everyone that has it is just like, wow. Um, and that could just... Yeah, those those five ingre- those five courses right there could easily be done for under twenty dollars a person. Uh, not to mention, it'd actually be really easy to put together too. Oh yeah, it sounds like it. I'm gonna I'm gonna swing back around to the very first one, the vegetable rut, the the dolmas. And you quickly told me what kind of leaf. It wasn't a grape leaf. It was something else. I, um, well, you could you. use collard collard greens. Collard greens are fantastic. You know, like uh, you ever had like um, just like uh, cooked collard greens in the South. I do them a lot with bacon and onion. Yep. So we use those collard wraps that are really big, and you blanch them for a minute or two, some salted water, and it breaks them down, and they act like a large tortilla. Oh, okay. Yeah, and you can wrap. um, We do these dolmas. Um, I've also done them with squash leaves. Oh, okay. So, like, zucchini leaves or squash leaves, those also need a little blanching to help break them down, a little bit easier for you to uh, digest as well as better on the palate and easier to bite into. But, um, yeah, you wrap them up like a little tiny mini burrito with some farro, pine nuts, raisins, lemon zest, salt, pepper, olive oil, fresh herbs, parsley, whatever you want to put in there. Make, like, a cold farro salad or even rice or quinoa and then wrap it inside of the leaf like a little mini burrito and oh my gosh it's such a good it's such a good appetizer that is awesome i grew up on grape leaves my grandmother was um armenian my my grandfather was 100 percent italian and my mother made them all growing up you know i had the lamb the beef and the rice mixture together my mom would cook them for hours on the stove but when you threw out the collard green leaf it was like oh that is that's brilliant. That is so brilliant. I'm going to try that. Yep. Sure. Yep. It's a, it's a great way. You can do it with kale. I mean, there's, you can even also do it with rainbow chard. You can do it with any large leaf um, that you have. Would the kale and need to be blanched a little long? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I would blanch the kale as well. Not the curly kale, but I, it's the, like, the lacinato. It's the more flat leaves. Um, oh, Okay. Yeah, you want to use more of the flat leaf kale. It's going to be easier to work with. And then if it has a really thick stem, you can take part of that stem out. And really, you just use it like a wrap, like a tortilla or imagine wrapping, you know, a baby in a, in a swaddle. It's the same concept. Um, <laughs> you don't need to have the meat. And you can have the vegetables and the grains in there and still be really filling. That's awesome. That's a good idea. Good tip. Thanks for that. Cool. Sure. So tell people how they can get a hold of you if you're doing the social media thing and um, the number to the restaurant where they can call and make a reservation or just kind of stop in and say, hey. Sure. Uh, Well, we are on Facebook and Instagram. It's Garden Kitchen SD for San Diego. We have a nice website that my husband and I maintain. It's Garden Kitchen SD. Uh, dot com. We actually post our menu on there every single day by noon, so you know what I'm cooking for the day. We also can wow. do reservations there on the website, and then uh, you can call me at the restaurant anytime. I'm there always. And uh, <laughs> restaurant, number, <laughs> restaurant number is 619 and uh, ask all your questions. Reservations are recommended. We're really tiny. We get packed often. And if you think you don't want to stop by for dinner, we also have a happy hour from 3 to 5 p.m. Tuesday through Saturday. It's a good opportunity to try a lot of my appetizers and food uh, at a discounted price. Perfect. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Stop by. I have a, yeah, I have a really good relationship with all my customers. So if anyone wants to ever ask me any questions, I love talking to strangers. <laughs> We're talking to me now, so that works. <laughs> yep. Great. Thanks, Coral. This has been awesome. I really appreciate you coming on and much success. And we, my wife and I will certainly get a chance to get on down there and check out the place and, and get a chance Family. to meet you face to face. Sounds great. I appreciate the time you took.
Great. I appreciate yours. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Uh, Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Be sure and visit us at AOAchef.com for all the show notes. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at AOAchef. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.